Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Cobblers fanzine that ran from 1988 to 2004, reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reed and delighted to be joined today by probably someone that not everyone is aware of in the Northampton sporting community, unless you're a big fan of Eurosport. But uh, hey, <laughs> hey, um, but a very successful commentator and football analyst who's going to regale us with some you know, classic stories of golden, you know, football moments. It's Andy Bodfish. Hello, Andy. Hello, sir. How are you? Yes, very well. Uh, getting stuck into these podcasts now, it's actually quite a nice thing to be able to do during the, the hiatus in football. Go through, yeah, over it's memory. Really, really good yeah. listeners. I mean, you had Ian Atkins on uh, the other week and that, that brought back some memories, I tell you, of the, the, the late 90s glory days. It's good stuff what you're doing. Re- really good listen. I, I just like to a bit like you, I like to get under the skin of football a bit, and I like, I'm a bit of a nerd for detail and stuff like that. And so, it's nice just letting people talk and just listening to what you know their experiences and stuff. And I, I wasn't, you're not, you're quite new to social media, aren't you? You're not like you know a massive social media guy. Yeah, to be honest, um, it beat me. It beat me into submission. Um, yeah. For years, I thought I could operate um, just floating along above it, you know, sort of above the fray. Yeah, um, but it hasn't worked out like that. I'm just I'm down with I'm, mate, I'm down with the pigs in the trough, <laughs> sniffing around. Uh, attention, yeah. just give me some attention. Because <laughs> I was like, I've been like clicking away on Twitter and stuff, and I was seeing that you were posting all this really, really interesting stuff. You like a lot of um, old sort of uh, you know images and pictures and stuff, and I was looking at it, and then I looked in your bio, and it said something like Eurosport commentator or you know whatever and I was like wow this guy's interesting and then I was like he seems to come from Northampton and I was like whoa and then we just got chatting and stuff and uh, you know uh, it emerges that I'm calling you Mr Lucky because it seems to be that you've uh you've fallen into or worked your way into a plum job and covered pretty much every football event worth covering in the whole world ever uh, yeah commentator um, perhaps tell us yeah perhaps tell us it's, a little bit. It, is, it is random when you um Look at it, it kind of creeps up on you, really. Um, certainly with uh, lockdown and no one basically being able to do anything or leave their house. I mean, I, I don't think I'm the only one that's just sort of, you know, bur- burying my head in the nostalgia boxes. You know, I've been looking at old stuff and you, know, you try and update your CV and look at your reel. It's not until you actually come to put pen to paper, write, write this stuff down, that genuinely you, um, you re- or certainly where I was concerned, you realise how much you've done. You know, um, yeah, probably should I've, chat I've, about it a little bit more, you know, because, yeah, I mean, 
through all around the world, it's it's quite an unusual mix. I've been very lucky, really, with the companies that I've worked for. Um, and as you know yourself, a lot of it's right place, right time, and stuff. But um, yeah, there is quite a range there. Yeah. Just for just for the listeners' benefit, you've covered in one way or another, either on com uh, comms, you know, commentary or various analysis uh, roles. Pretty much every World Cup in you know going back three or four World Cups all the Euros and various other international competitions, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I, so I, uh, I was in Paris for Eurosport at uh, the start of the 2000s. I went freelance in 02. And just through a combination of sort of knowing the right people and bit, sort of being an expat in, in Paris where one or two English language places were looking for, you know, sort of native tongue English commentators, you you're in the right place, right time there. And um, yeah, I mean, since 2002, I've basically worked on every World Cup and Olympics, you know, sort of men's and women's in one form or another. I, th- I, th- I think the, the men's men's World Cup is the only sort of recognisable football tournament that I haven't commentated 90 minutes on. You know, I've done Euros, women's and men's, under 17s, under 19s. You know, it's, it's quite a range and randoms as well, like Asian games. You know, yeah. you find yourself out in Jakarta and Singapore and all these places in, you know, sort of strange booths or stadiums talking about guys whose names are difficult to pronounce. You know, is it all quite <laughs> random, really? This strikes me. This strikes me as a, a very much a plum job that I'm so jealous of. But let's let's start back to your roots. And I obviously a big Cobblers fan. Um, add your roots at uh, erstwhile local TV station, Alan Partridge uh, style, Northants TV. Uh, oh, it was so partridge. It really was. It was it was immense. But again, great for learning on the job. Yeah. Um late nineties and I think there was a big push to sort of promote cable telly. And yeah, it was just after I'd finished um university that summer in ninety seven, sort of flicking round uh, you know, flicking the channels and rushing and diamonds and catching town of playing. There's a sort of strange logo in the corner, North Ants TV. Um, you know, what on earth is this? So, I don't know, you make inquiries and, yeah, you do a commentary over a Diamonds match and then, you know, don't upset them, make the right people cups of tea. And, uh, you know, sooner or later, you, um, I don't know, you, you probably get asked to be a little bit more permanent. I suppose that's how it all started. Yeah, it's great, great, though, for learning on the job. Great preparation for Eurosport as well, where often you just get lobbed into a booth with a, a start list, often of another match. And, um, you know, and told to get on with it. So great, great for learning on the job, yeah, thinking on your I feet. Can, I can imagine. And um, it, it, it was all a bit, because you didn't particularly have the rights for the Cobblers because they were a football league club. You, it was all a bit guerrilla and, you know, guerrilla media. And you had to sort of, you, you did cover the Cobblers, but it wasn't in the most official of ways. And you, you got... No, quite. I mean, again, just remarkable when you think about it. We... Um, yeah, so this was, I mean, I started there, my first game was Kidderminster against Diamonds at Agra, 97, September 97. And between then and um, summer of 2000, yeah, we, we, we were basically Rushton and Diamonds TV. Rushton and Diamonds and Kettering Town were the only teams we could show because of rights and so on. But yeah, we, we still used to interview Ian and the boys. We would go down to Sixfields on a on a Monday and talk about, you know, what had happened at the weekend. And then we'd go back down there on a Friday and, um, you know, preview the weekend. We did reserve matches, come to think of it as well. We took like a, 
yeah, a whole vision mix sort of operation down there and sat in the back of the stand and, you know, 200 people watching Cobbler's Reserves against Doncaster or whatever. And, yeah, that. yeah, we did all that. I've, do you know what? It's all coming back to me. I've totally forgotten about that as well. Um, but yeah, the Wembley finals, 97 and 98, we took, we took a camera, weren't allowed in, but because the club knew us, you know, we kind of, uh, we were given one or two favours in terms of access and it, it was just fantastic for, you know, learning what it's all about and, you know, sort of tapping people up for interviews and, you know, sneaking around. It was great. I loved it. Weren't you doing the, uh, some sort of, not like a Vox Pop thing, but you were, you were down with the fans, weren't you? Were you at the Bristol Rovers game at Sixfields? Oh, God, Bristol Rovers. That was, that was immense. Not only because of, um, you know, what happened, but it was such a funny one because I was there with a, a camera, a camera woman and uh, I got a mate in. I'd asked for an extra ticket because um, a friend wanted to go. So we had these three stickers, yes, press stickers, but we weren't actually in the press area. So we were, down 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 the end of the stand in amongst the the ultras really for one of the better term one or two town ultras and spicy boys who were yeah who weren't 100 percent focused on the action to be honest because i was there with me with my smart clothes on we looked like the prawn sandwich brigade basically (laughs) so i've got kerry next to me with a camera sort of at her feet my mate you know me with a shirt and tie on we've all got stickers on we didn't look the part really yeah in a, a, a game that was in such high demand. People are thinking, what are they? What are these guys doing here? So yeah, until the goals started going in, we were basically getting eyeballed. The guys in front of us weren't watching the game. They were sort of turned 180 degrees, staring at us, yeah. you know, shouting at us in their heads, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, and yeah, and until it all, you know, until it all happened, the goals went in. Um, then, I mean, Clarkson's goal was was just just immense that night, and it, it all turned out all right, basically. But yeah, I mean, had had it had it not gone all right, I, I'm not too sure, you know. But it anyway, yeah, North Fans TV cobbler's coverage because you would have got. Oh, maybe yeah, it would have been. It would have been a new story, a new story of a different a different flavour. Um, but that, uh, but yeah, that so, night against Crystal Rovers, it was just the best atmosphere. Oh, it's not been matched at Sixfield since. Um, and I'm just thinking about it, you. You covered that arc of Ian Atkins and you did it in, I did. in, in creative w- ways. And funnily enough, when the Ian Atkins day started coming to an end and, you know, it went tits up a little bit, you, you've you actually moved on in your own career. So that's when you, you know, you got a job. That, yeah, that's pretty much what happened um, because Diamonds got promoted that summer. Um, oh, memory slightly failing me now. It was either 01 or 2000, which meant obviously them getting up into the league meant, you know, rights and it, it would have got serious, you know, um, basically the, the door would have been shut on a local TV station. Okay. Um, who, you know, notwithstanding the fact that we'd film them every game home and away for the previous three years, you know, so that just ha- ha- happened to happen when I moved, moved abroad. So yeah, it's just another lucky break, really. It's crazy when you think about it. Uh, and you got that role uh, in, a, in a quite a, quite an old fashioned way, really. You just looked, you found an advert in the newspaper, small little thing. Yeah. That you thought, you thought yes. oh, for that. Uh, well, yeah. So spring of two thousand, um, this lovely thing that you used to hold in your hands called the newspaper. Um, I used to get the Guardian on a Monday Media Guardian section advertising for uh, so quite a few people, really, from all around Europe, different languages, to help launch this twenty four hour news channel basically sky sports news but you're a sports take on it you know um so that launched in september 2000s with 
about 40 of us from all over Europe. It was fantastic because it was like being at uni again, you know, but yeah. slightly better uni. You can move into Paris and all of a sudden these new friends from Italy and Germany and Spain, you know, it was, it was just great. It was, it was a great time, that different world. Yeah, I can I can imagine with the uh, you know just meeting people from all over. You're probably uh, learning your craft a bit more as well. How did how did your your commentary begin to come on, and how did you learn that 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 art? Well, again, um, there's probably quite a few who are interested in commentary who probably empathise with this. But you know, you do the um, you do the old taping your own sports bulletins and doing silly made up horse race commentaries. So you know, all the usuals, you know, which I did when I was a kid. Sure. And then, and then I don't know. I mean, I, I just always obsess with, um, with football really. Um, you know, used to draw, uh, <laughs> used to draw matches off the telly, have my own folders and binders and whatnot. And I just used to, used to grow up watching football basically. And listening to Motti and Barry Davis and Brian Moore and all the legends, you know, your sin stats, your gubbers, all that. And I used to think, well, the, you know, these people are only human beings. They're very good, but they haven't been magic down from the clouds. You know, the, the, these are only people that have a passion for the sport and have, you know, got themselves into the right sort of environments to do that job. And I just thought, well, if, you know, they can do it, why, you know, why, why shouldn't I really, you know? I suppose you have to have that mentality, really, to to break into something that's so competitive, you know. So, how did you got your job at Eurosport? How did how did your career progress from there? When did when did the Euro goals come into? That's one of my favourite things to talk about. Well, yeah, Euro goals. Um, it's about goals. Yeah, it, oh, it was glorious. It's going to bring a tear to my eye, actually, reminiscing if we go down that route. But um, so, yeah, that was. It's, 2003 uh, moved on from the news there at Eurosport and it just so happened as I keep saying um, but it's true it was pure fortune really that I was working there at a time Eurosport picked up some extra rights you know there was too much football for the guys that they had on the team um, at that time and because I was working at the news myself and another guy uh, Wayne Boyce good friend of mine um, we were mad into our football and we were kind of auditioned to be an extra football commentator at Eurosport. And I don't know, we must have done all right because, yeah, we've been freelancing for them for 18 years, you know, since. Um, with all the greats, you know, Tim Capel, Dave Farrer, um, Guy Mowbray, of course, was, was Eurosport's number one before, before Dave came in. So, you know, some really good names there and some, some quality broadcasters that I learned a lot from. So was, um, was Euro goals... Did you do like a voiceover for it or how did that work? Yeah, it was a, a magazine show every Monday. Um, and then a few few years after that, the glory days, they did a daily version for a freelancer, heaven. But whatever. Um, yeah, back to the Monday one. Yeah, it was uh, Monday afternoon in in Paris and then later London. Um, yeah, looking through the tapes of the weekend edits and, you know, knocking up a script and trying to make it all sound, I don't know, legible and entertaining, I suppose. It was, it was crazy when you think about it, because the, when I started doing Euro goals, I mean, how about this for sort of rights not being an issue? We used to have three or four matches in a two-hour show of extended highlights of whatever big game had been at the weekend. So yeah. if, you just, if you just randomly happened to have a weekend where it was Benfica Porto, Real Barca, uh, you know, PSG Marseille, you know, they'd all go in 15, 
20 minute edits. So I'd literally get into the office with Tim, Dave or Wayne. And the conversation would be, right, who wants to do PSG Marseille? Oh, you take, you know, Ajax against PSV then. And, and literally that was the extent of the conversation. And you don't realise how, you know, glorious it is at the time. You know? there, was more free, there was more freedom in terms of the rights. So you could take your pick of pro- Europe's best football, really. Well, yes, um, because it was a completely different TV environment those days. Eurosport, uh, now the channel, anyone can still show, I think, goals, but under a news sort of embargo, uh, under a news um, sort of remit. So you can show stuff for 24 hours and whatnot. You know, I think anyone can. Um, Don't sue me. That might be incorrect. (laughs) I haven't checked. Um, But in terms of, you know, showing extended highlights and then repeating it all, we could we could do that, you know, at will back in the day. Champions League, uh, we had Champions League. So basically, I would work Champions League at CFI on a Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Eurosport would edit the matches down to an hour and show them on Thursdays and Fridays. So, you know, you, you do extra work there and completely different um, TV environment landscape sounds, in those days. Sounds brilliant. Um, can you remember any standout goals from the Euro goals years? There must have been loads, but is there any oh, one you can think of? An well? absolute, oh, goodness me, an absolute flood of them. Seriously. Um, now you're asking. Honestly, <laughs> it's like it's like looking at a it's like looking at a forest and then saying, right, pick out your, your favourite tree. I'm struggling yeah. to think right now. I did I did a pretty crazy fine odd. Oh, do you know what? I'd have to dig deeper into the archives. Nothing sticks out from your goals. It's all just yeah, such it's a, probably because you watch such a fog. Folk. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, some of the yeah. names as well. Top some of the names in your goals. I mean, you know, Kenneth Perez. These guys, are these made up? Uh, I mean, I remember when when Collins John came on the scene and, you know, couldn't get through to anyone in Paris. So that's clearly not Collins John. His name's John Collins. You know, this is is kind of pre, you know, everything at the sort of touch of a button on your phone, you know. There was a player Um, for uh, Marseille called Cyril Rule. I always thought it sounded like Cyril Rule from Marseille. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cyril Rule. Because I used to play Championship Manager in 97, 98, like obsessively. And uh, I used to like sign some players because they had funny names like that. So Cyril Rule. And then I Googled Cyril Rule. And apparently, (laughs) Cyril Rule was like a hard man. It was like a nutcase. He was. I think it was Marseille. Probably Wren, somewhere else like that. We're doing a mallet. mallet of random footballers now. Um, but I, I, was, I, was, I was quite a fan of the names and what, another of my favourites Pablo Mills you know, <laughs> c- combining the exotic with the uh, the entirely pedestrian you know. uh, but Kenneth That's Perez was good for that and Danish randomly Danish as well Kenneth Perez was Danish well wh- Kenneth why, why Perez played in the World um, Cup yeah Steve Savidan of Valenciennes um, the French Ricky Lambert Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> the names are flooding back. They really are. Great days. Great days. You covered Serie A for a period as well. How did, how did that come about? Uh, again, um, through, through knowing the right people. Um, it also, all roads lead back to that, really. I think in, um, in TV sport, a lot of TV. Um, yeah, D- Dave, Dave Farrer. The, the main guy at Eurosport at the time, he had a contact with a company that picked up those those Italian rights. They needed a commentary team. I knew Dave, you know, he knew I could do a job for him. And 
Yes. Yeah, so next thing you know, we're on that that bandwagon, and we we did that for eight years in the end, Syria. Wonderful, wonderful. And you were were you were you on the ground in Italy? Because that must have been pretty cool if you were. We were. Uh, yeah, it was a tough schedule, um, but I loved it. We would go over to Rome to do a lot of matches off tube on a Sunday, and then work into the night to do a highlights um, program. You know, an Italian sort of sort of match of the day. Um, and then a little bit later on in that that contract, yeah, we we went on site. So you know, Palermo one week and Livorno the next. You know, it was all quite random, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely loved it. Some some really nice places, and 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 for football hipsters, Italy. I think Italy has still got a mystique about it, even though uh, the, the best years for oh. Serie A were in the nineties. Even now, I think it's got something about it. Exactly. I mean, you see it on you know social media a lot don't you the the love that people have for james richardson and uh, football yeah. italian you know um there's that whole community in there who buzz off anything to do with syria in in that era and you know uh, myself and dave and wayne and the other guys we're the same you know because we're, yeah. we're, we're that age um, it came from, it you, came, you, you it try came and get from into commentary and you find yourself I don't know, being part of it in a way. And the other weird thing, of course, is when you end up working with guys that you used to watch on telly play, you know, because yeah. there's the um, there's the temptation to go, oh, I really rated you when you meet <laughs> someone. But, you, but you've got to be, you know, professional and stuff. The guys that yeah. played for England. And, Who would you I mean, say your most starry eyes sort of moment was? Well, Again, it's all a bit niche because it was Eurosport. But, uh, yeah. I mean, Jerry Armstrong, you know, um, Jerry Armstrong back in the day scored the winning goal against Spain, you know, in 82. Um, biggest moment of his life. Um, he doesn't mention it much. Um, but, yeah, I mean, working with these guys, you know, and telling you stories about oh, George Best and Northern Ireland, which um, aren't suitable for this hour. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the, the backstage stories are, are great, really. Stuart Robson um, works quite a lot with him. Um, you know, a player who basically should have gone to the Mexico 86 World Cup instead of Steve Hodge. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting learning about these stories and trying to get into the mind of a player who's been in the camp. And, you know, fascinating, really. Yeah. Um, how would you... If you were doing commentary on on a game, what what sort of prep work do you put in before before the game? Do you it, a lot of your stuff was I can't even remember when the internet came out, but it must have been pre-internet some of it. Uh, I'm struggling to remember now as well. Yeah, I, I don't honestly know. The, again, you just rely a lot on your own dossiers. A lot's in the memory. I mean, because because it never felt like a job. You kind of wanted to retain because, as we know, everyone who's into football, you just retain, don't you? you just soak so much stuff up. Mm. So, 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 so there's a lot of that going on. Um, Champions League back in the day, even pre, you know, pre 100% internet, was still pretty good with the the match packs and the stats. Um, and certainly when the internet comes on, I mean, as you know, you can never ever do too much research for a sporting event. It's just not mm. possible. Because, you know, there's always something new to learn about, you know, so-and-so, mum's brother's cousin, you know, which, you know, I can pop that in when, when there's a throw-in, you know. Um, so you just kind of build up your own dossiers, memory, um, noting stuff down as well, you know. 
Um, oh, I'll remember that. I used to think, but you, you don't. You know, you've you've got to know little things down when you're watching something, and you know, then file it away, and then it all comes together. You know. Okay, and let's pretend that you were preparing for a. Actually, we have to pretend at the moment because there's no football on. But if you were, Tell me if about you were it. preparing yeah. for a game, a forthcoming game, and just say it was, you know, Spurs v Arsenal derby or something, what what prep goes onto your your notes uh, before the game? How detailed do you get on each player? What's what sort of stuff do you look at? Uh, just oh, it sounds trite, but everything. And make sure you've got um, small handwriting as well, because the key is to getting it on as few sheets of paper as possible. You, know, okay. you have to condense. But, I mean, for example, your example there, the Premier League, um, very, very good stat packs, actually. Um, guilty little secret. A lot of the a lot of the prep's done for you. I mean, the prep, the, you know, sorry, the, the Prem um, statisticians, uh, you know, are off the scale. No stone is left unturned with that. So you get you get a magnificent document basically sent to you for every match. And then it's, I think, possibly what a lot of people don't understand is how you then take all that, which in a lot of cases you're given, and you just then rearrange, reappropriate it in your own brain. Sure. Uh, you, you then put it down on as few sheets of paper as possible so... Obviously, you're not leafing through 80 pages of documents when you want to find out when, I don't know, you know, um, <clears throat> Tom Ince's last goal with his left foot was. You know. <laughs> the Opta guys are amazing with the stats. They really are fantastic. Sure, Opta are uh, yeah, fantastic. And uh, they're actually influencing the way football is they are. played now. It's, it's sort of branched out. Uh, clubs are partnering with Opta. I think Plymouth are the, the latest club to uh, partner with Opta in terms of um, identifying players and stuff. Um, yeah, sure. But yeah, and that, that could only be a good thing, the way, you know, sort of the stats are gathered. I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a contentious one, isn't it? Because, you know, one man's glorious stat is another man's interference. You know, just shut <laughs> up. Let me watch the game. You know, you can't please all the people all the time. But you you do have to have the backup at the end of the day. It's always good to know. And, you know, and, and you'll do your own research as well and, and add to it. But, I mean, the the match packs, I mean, I've done Serie A and Liga in recent years as well. And they're, they're all very good. You know, the, the leagues produce good official match packs. I think. It, it might actually be more difficult to do back in your... Uh, Russian and Diamonds days where maybe you you come up against God knows who team with no information and you have to do it do it all that's off right. your own back that's absolutely right that's absolutely right yeah I mean I I would have I mean I scrimped on the commentary back then because I mean it was you know being perfectly honest it was all about the Diamonds and you know pre-internet um, yeah I mean I, I think I did struggle when it was altering them away on a Tuesday night <laughs> Um, but we got there. I mean, we never had any complaints. The, you know, the, the other clubs would, you know, ask for copies and whatnot. And, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I was made into an internet sort of meme. Um, you know, <laughs> even that started even now. So, you know, you're doing something right if you avoid ridicule at the end of the day. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about some of your uh, even more interesting events you've covered because some of them I've looked at your resume, like your resume, but the stuff you've covered, and some of them are jumping out at me, like the Beach Soccer World Cup. That sounds like a oh, gig. Yeah, again, that was off tube. I'll get that in. Um, All right, okay. I'll get, but but I did. Yeah, I was I was at the beach for the European Games um, last year out in Minsk. 
which was quite a rant. It was it was in Minsk. Yeah, I mean that. that, that, Yeah, exactly. That famous, uh, you know, beach, uh, (laughs) famous beach destination. Uh, But no, they. I mean, they 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 got a fabulous setup um, going on in Minsk with it, and it was a wonderful trip. That beautiful place, Belarus. Um, But yeah, that was the beach soccer European Games. Um, I mean, beach soccer is amazing. I'm not massive on beach soccer. I watched a bit of it on TV. Is it? Are there ex-pros playing it? I know I think Cantona played a little bit or something. Yeah, there are. Um, yeah, Cantona got involved and coached the team. I think they won it. They won the World Cup in 2009 or certainly reached the final. Um, this is it, you know, so getting rusty. Um, but yeah. Vincent <laughs> Beach Football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one or two of the Swiss players, I think, played professionally. Um yeah, Portugal, very good. Very, very good at beach soccer. Um, couple when of ex- you're analysing beach football, though, oh, it, without using the cliche, it's a different ball game. It is a different ball game because there's a lot of, uh, it's not like dribbling as you know it. There's a lot of like teeing people up and stuff like that. Oh, it's teeing, it's overheads, it's everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just a, a pure, lethal um, dose of look, everything that we want in football, beach soccer. <laughs> So, I mean, from the kickoff, the guy tees it up, someone has a go. You know, I mean, basically the um, <laughs> the remit really is to be as entertaining as possible. And, you know, wh- wh- why go for the tapping when you can score an overhead, you know? Um, and what's not to love about that? Yeah, I- I've seen it. And they take their feet up as well, don't they? So it's obviously a bit of wear and tear on the feet if there's a hot sun. Oh, completely. Stuff. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, we've all had a kick around on the sun. You've got to be so. I mean, but the core strength required. I mean, running around on sand is hard work, isn't it? Um, yeah. Kicking a ball and you know lifting your legs up all the. You know, it's um, it requires real, real fitness. It's crazy, really. You also did the futsal as well, futsal. Yeah, again, they are very much on the off tube list. Um, so yeah, d- done a lot of five a side, um, as we call it. Uh, but yeah, the Youth Olympics, I uh, was out in Madrid doing some Youth Olympic uh, futsal and we, we did the World Cups and the Euros on Eurosport as well. So they, yeah, they were other ones to, to chalk up. I'm surprised, futsal, I know futsal is growing in England, but considering we've got terrible weather, you'd think that there'd be some money in promoting futsal and, you know, indoor football, but it's never really taken off in England for some reason. I don't know why. People play it, but it's oh. not like a big... It's not as big a thing as when you go to Europe, indoor football, and especially South America, they're massive over there. It is. But again, I, I mean, this obviously spiders out into another debate entirely, but it's it's almost to do with a sort of, I don't know, the physiology or the, the psychology of it, really. Because, I mean, f- futsal five aside is, I mean, it's it's a recreation in this country. It's a, it's a, it's a laugh. It's a kick around. It's something you do as an adult. But, it, I mean, in Europe, it's a thing. You know, there are leagues and, and uh, you know, Portugal and Spain and France care about their international beach soccer team. So it's funded and they go to World Cups and, you know, they have players who prepare properly and so on and have a whole system around them. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure it's, it's, it's the case in this country. All we want in this country is 11 aside men's football, I think, you know. Maybe because uh, uh, 11, 11 aside is so so well established, like historically, going back hundreds and hundreds of years. Historically, yeah. I mean, we're seeing the, you know, the fantastic strides that, um, you know, women's football has made. And bring it on, women's football. Absolutely brilliant. 
And uh, on Eurosport, we um, we promoted that for for some years as well. But you look at that, you look at the um, you know the, the problems with investment and the fact that a lot of women's football seems to have has to be sort of bolted on to uh, the men's operation. Um, and obviously, with the disaster that is COVID, uh, that's a situation that um, you know is only going to regress further. Mm. Um, you know, but again, it's it's a different debate, really. But it's it's interesting to talk about. But I think that is the case with um, certainly with futsal. It's it's looked upon differently on the continent. You know, I think looking at uh, what Eurosport uh, were covering, you know, going back, you know, probably a decade or so, um, we talked about that they got a lot of the rights to more niche football. But that sort of yeah. niche football is mainstream now. So people are much more interested now in under seventeen, under nineteen tournaments. This is true. Covered uh, yeah, all that definitely. stuff, and you were—I won't say a pioneer, but you were—you were covering that sort of stuff when it was a bit less fashionable. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true of a lot of uh, Eurosports output. Um, mm. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a brutal world, telly and whatnot. But you know, I mean, it used to sort of make one of us. Well, the two of us raised some eyebrows, you know, when I think it was the 2007, um, what was it, Women's World Cup. You know, the Eurosport had, had shown all the Women's World Cups ever since, um, I, I think I'm right in saying, the, the mid-90s. There was one in Sweden in 95. And, you know, Eurosport had been slowly, quietly supporting it ever since. Mm. And then, yeah, of course, yeah, I think, yeah, and then there were some issues in 07 when England got to the quarterfinal and then we couldn't show it, you know. And, oh. and you kind of think, well, I mean, hell, you know, we sort of toil away for years and then the big boys come in when England reach quarterfinal and, <laughs> you know, sort of crowd you out of the way. But um, that's the way it goes, I suppose. But um, I think one... it is a real shame how a lot of the stuff that Eurosport promoted has kind of just been allowed to drift into the ether now. Yeah. Yeah. Another one you covered was the African Cup of Nations, uh, which oh, has had some, yeah. some classic moments. And, you know, without sounding completely ignorant of African sport, the fans there go crazy, go absolutely crazy for it, and you covered that for at least one tournament, didn't you? Yeah, different gravy that was out in Tunisia, two thousand and four. Um, fantastic. Yeah, we were down there in the um, we were down there in the hotel. Actually, the Cameroon squad were in our hotel, um, which was quite, yeah. Well, you know, you get any breakfast, <laughs> um, bacon, and there's Patrick and Bomber stood next to you. you know. <laughs> um, fair, fairly random. Um, Bernard Lamar. The, the the French keeper, a bit of a cult hero, absolute legend. He was working for the French service, the French part of the operation. And um, yeah, in a nightclub and um, with Bernard Lamar one night with the Egyptian squad, Mido was getting a lot of attention, as was Bernard, to be fair, with the ladies. Bernard Lamar won a World Cup winner's medal in, um, in 98, for goodness sake. And there I am yeah. in suits, you know, having a beer and a cigarette with him. Ridiculous. Just also looking now at your memorable matches that you're, uh, you've, you've watched and you've watched a hell of a lot of important games a lot of Champions League finals you were in Istanbul weren't you for Liverpool one? yeah that was um, yeah mid 2000s we had a good little run at CFI there yeah was there in, in Istanbul um, oddly enough the strange way the company I work for operated I was actually doing the the summarizers role for that so um, yeah I mean what was it, it was QL off at half time wasn't it Haman came on that Changed the balance, so it was fascinating. I mean, because I've I've only done that once or twice, and it was fascinating to 
I don't know, to, to, to look at the game through different eyes in a way. I often felt that as a commentator, you were aware of, of I don't know, sort of formation tweaks and stuff. But it wasn't the number one priority for you to be talking about that. That was the co-com's job, you know. Mm. Um, and obviously sort of being given the freedom to actually talk, because it's an entirely different way of talking. You know, you're just describing the action or a good commentator should be sort of, you know, um, providing a, a colouring in of what's happened. Mm. Um, but it, as an analyst, you know, you're actually, you're physically looking at the match in a different way. You, you, you're aware the ball's over there in a part of your peripheral vision, but you're actually looking at, you know, what the centre halves are doing. Who's pushing up? Who's dropping back when you lose possession and stuff? And it would what be great. What was the atmosphere like that night in Istanbul? You know, obviously. Uh, it was it was terrific. I mean, it's a Champions League final at the end of the day. But again, it was one of these stadiums with a running track, and you know that's always going to undermine any kind of real full-on, full-blooded connection. I think um, in a big game yeah. like that, you know, so there's distance between the pitch and the, the the fans. It was one of these big, spanking new, you know, sort of bowls. Beautiful stadium, but as is the case with a lot of those new sort of all-seater all jobs, a little bit soulless, you know. Plus, it was the Olympic Stadium, you know, and um, so I don't think the uh, Olympics having been in Istanbul yet, you know, but, but whatever. I mean, it was a fantastic, fantastic night. Unbelievable. What about the, you also did the Liverpool Euro, uh, Super Cup as well? Oh, well. The Alaves, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that was the Alaves game 2001, um, nine-goal thriller. That was extraordinary. Um, had that on VHS for a while until an ex, <laughs> until a bitter ex-girlfriend taped over it. Um, yeah. But never mind. And, but the the, oh, the the mad one from that year, I remember, was the um, Super Cup final, Monaco, uh, Liverpool against Bayern. I mean, that was a mad one. You you sort of work with some funny funny characters, and I was I was co-coming that match with it. A Cameroonian journalist, and uh, there was one incident I remember in the second half. And the camera, the ball goes out of play near side. Camera is tight in on um, Lizarazu, who had just basically tackled Emil Heskey down by the touchline. Camera's close in on Lizarazu's face, who um, I don't know whether I'm allowed to swear on here. Um, you can swear. You can, you can swear. You can beep it, can't you? Yeah, I can beep it. We'll, we'll sort something out. Okay. So basically, the camera's in Lizarazu's face, and you can clearly see him mouth to Heskey. You, you don't have to be a, you have to be a lip reader. It was there, and it was you had to mention it. You simply had to mention it. Everyone could see it. So I say to John, "Well, you know, no love lost there between Lizarazu and um, Emil Heskey, there, you know, John." And uh, John promptly turned to me and said, "Live on air to I don't know several million Africans." Um, yes, you can quite clearly see he called it. <laughs> and uh, I don't know where's the where's the perplexed emoji. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what goes through someone's head? But anyway, that's what John did, and uh, I simply said, "John, wash your mouth out with soap and water, and you just have to hit reset, and off you go again." Yeah. You know, um, Strange, uh, yeah. but memorable. It's probably still mentioned in African uh, sporting folklore to these to these, to these it, days. It I'm, might I'm be. Yeah. Maybe on some blue potato somewhere. <laughs> okay, because I yeah, uh, 2004 in um, in Tunisia, my co-com for those matches was actually the the main commentator at Zimbabwe TV, um, and he and he doubled. Was that, was that the sister company of Northampton TV? 
no, <laughs> Zimbabwe, North Hans, uh, ticking them all off. We got the own but he, No, but he, um, he was, uh, yeah, he was kind of, um, well, he was, he was the top man at Zimbabwe sports TV and, uh, you know, a Robert Mugabe propagandist, basically. So quite, quite, quite interesting to um, have dinner with people like these, you know, mm. uh, where you just sort of, I don't know, bow your head and finish your soup and go, yeah, all right then. Okay, <laughs> see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Yeah. It's yeah. actually interesting thing because there'll be moments where just just through social friendships and like professional uh, contacts and stuff, they'll probably say, come for dinner or something. And you're like, well, all right. Then you end up in some strange situation. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. But I, guess I mean, also times like, where you can get contacts. I reckon, I reckon, you know, just you know, read between the lines. You never know who, what contact can lead to another, so it's good to just keep everyone friendly. Yeah, it's, yes, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, word of mouth is important in any business. Uh, he says, not knowing much about any other businesses, really, but I, I would say in telly and media, you know, it's, it's so important to, to get in amongst those people. And, you know, you're probably a bit like going into social media, just showing off the whole time. You know, yeah. So, playing this role of I'm amazing and just <laughs> no, no, notice me. Yeah. I'm looking uh, at your other other sports, you you uh, your random sports that you you worked on as well, and some of them are hilarious. I'm going to do a little quiz now. Let's see, let's see. It oh, might be a tough one. You, you I'll, is, I'll tell you the sports. No, no, no. I'll tell you the I'll tell you the sports that you commentated on, and you've just got to remember one player from those sports. Oh my uh, god! These are some weird ones. You have to rack your brain. So no, volleyball. No remember a volleyball player because you you commented on volleyball Thaisa Menezes from Brazil okay I don't know any of them so we, you could just be making well this up. is it I could be saying anything <laughs> I'm going to google it absolutely anything okay yeah. handball can you think of a handball player Mikkel Hansen okay that sounds viable <laughs> Mikkel Hansen uh, no we uh, I could talk you through the French uh, well World Championship winners, which is right. Laura Tilly and um, Kevin Tilly and uh, and oh, others. Now let's Tilly. move on. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, this one. This, this has got this has got a stump you now. Snow volleyball. Oh snow. <laughs> snow volleyball. And Mate, you... this was only last year, but um, oh, I'm going to go. I, no, I'm going to go with um, Pierre Tor- Tor- Torsten Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just talk us through what snow volleyball is like where it's played um might i suggest it does exactly what it says on the tin yeah um, it, it, it is basically volleyball played up a mountain in snow uh, as you do vulnerable to the elements i'll level with you um <laughs> because i mean over in austria last year uh yeah the first first day was quite literally snowed off you know, um, <laughs> and, and shorts uh, in the snow well, they were. Uh, it was oh, it's the base layers. It was all about cycling shorts and, um, you know, sort of under layers, basically. But, I mean, you know, it's, it, it can be quite warm and pleasant up the mountain, you yeah, know, when true. you're running around like that. And, and you <laughs> it's a bit of a random one now. I, I've got to be honest, snow volleyball. But mark my words, it will be in the Olympics. It will be in the Winter Olympics. <laughs> it will be. 2026, they're looking for, looking at. Really? Uh, yeah. Did you do ski yeah, jumping as well? Ski jumping? Yeah, ski jumping at Pyeongchang a couple of years ago in the winters. Um, yeah, I mean, that 
Ah, oh, one particular night there, I won't get back. Because um, world feed commentary, you have to anything that anything that the competitors do, you sort of have to film in a way. So obviously, competition you film okay. and medal matches and so on. But in the case of ski jumping, also training runs. Okay. So you have 150 ski jumpers who are allowed for you know for training runs. So stick a camera on it and right, okay, go in the booth and we'll see you in about five hours. Yeah, and yeah, that was that was a tough one because uh, ski jumping, I love it, but it's it's not necessarily the most nuanced of disciplines, um, <laughs> and there there aren't there aren't that many ways to describe a man flying down a, a slope and then launching himself into the air at the end of the day. Did you um, uh, learn the, did you learn all the technical jargon because? Certain commentators I send to, and I think you must have an expert knowledge of the sport. And then some people I think, are you blagging it slightly? So did you, did you like, do you have to learn all the... Well, yes, because, um, I mean, the reason I, I did ski jumping uh, at the winters, because I've, I've done all, I'd sort of done little bits, enough of these sports down the years to be trusted you sort of with it, really. Because I've done bits and pieces of ski jumping at Eurosport. And you just learn from the experts. I mean... So Eurosport, David Goldstrom, Patrick Winterton, um, Mike Dixon, Nick Fellows, Matt Hilton, you know, these guys stuck out on Eurosport, but real experts in sort of snow sports, winter sport. So you get to know these guys, you know, you, you, you sort of ask them for information, you, you soak up quite a lot. And I think almost by osmosis, you, the, the, the terminology goes in, you know, and you start learning the you know, the, the, the technical jargon with it, which, of course, makes makes all the difference, I think. I guess it might mean that you're because you're you take it so much in via osmosis, you might just flick over and start watching the bowls. And then your mind is thinking it's taking these terms. In it, and, you know, well, you, you, when, when you're in the middle of a of a tournament and all you're doing, you're around notes and watching things and, you know, the same names all the time. It's very difficult to get out of that headspace. I mean, you just said bowls there. You know, I remember turning on some um, uh, some football when I was in in Korea a few years ago, and you can't you can't switch off. You, you watch it, the match, you commentate in it, and you tiny little fle- freezing flat in Pyeongchang, even though you've just done Olympic ski jumping, and you know, just end up sort of jabbering, walking around town, jabbering to yourself. You know. Yeah, would you be in the pub with your mates, and you know, just you're watching the football, and then you'd be like. Oh, that was a fantastic shot, you know, laid yeah. up by Simon. So over to you. The studio. <laughs> well, this is it. Having just, you know, sort of pretended to laugh when your mate says, um, go on, commentate this. Um, yeah. No, I won't, actually, because uh, yeah. no, no, one, no, no one will find it remotely funny. Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, there is a bit of that going on. <laughs> I think wow. um, from looking at all of your, your career and, the, the events you cover it it shows not just in a, a personal love of a, of sport in for you and dare I say a you know fairly sort of nerdy you know thing that a lot of guys have including myself absolutely also, it plays into Wait, I'm a nerd I, I, yeah, I'm a have... total nerd I love notes I love stats I love yeah. flags yeah I love all that and, and you've got you've end. got to have you've got to have that to do this job we can't end without talking about some of the probably the world's best ever show and you worked on i think one of the offshoots of it trans world sport from twi which is just like for me as a child i used to get up and it, I don't know, it was almost a weird time you just get up and watch it on tv and it would be like 
just one week I'm, of yeah, I'm thinking, sumo I'm wrestling, thinking, stuff like that. I'm thinking Amazing. Saturday morning on Channel 4. I've got that yeah. in my brain. Yeah. Silly o'clock, sort of 8 a.m. or something. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I never actually worked on that. I mean, that would have, oh, that would, that would, that would complete the career, wouldn't it? But, um, but did, didn't yeah, you I, thought it like you know something connected to TWI or something that, that made it trans transworld? Well, yeah, I've I've worked quite a lot for IMG, um, IMG yeah. Years, who yeah who made that show and other classics like Football Monday Al as well. That's it. Um, that's it. Football yeah, Monday. first ever sort of job interview I ever um, well one and only I think um, that I've ever ever had I think for for Football Monday Al not long after leaving university didn't get it so you know. You just have to go again, don't you? But, but I mean, what a great show that was! Yeah. It was, and uh, I, my knowledge of um, sumo wrestling has, has, not, has dropped off since I stopped watching that. I was a real <laughs> wrestling aficionado, and log rolling as well. Log rolling. Yeah, oh, log rolling. Yeah, I, I'm. You probably haven't lost too much sleep over it. Um, no, no, but I mean, <laughs> again, very much like Eurosport, tractor pulling, uh, cycle yeah. ball. These amazing things that were on, you know, that had Real people sport. talking about it. You know. Real sports, and um, it was just great because you could just watch one minute, and it it, it was very almost like the the one show, but you were like flicking from one thing completely to yeah. a completely something else. It'd be like, and we've gone from sumo wrestling in Osaka to you know kabaddi in um, you know kabaddi. Oh, another bing, another Eurosport bingo, kabaddi. Yes, kabaddi, fantastic. I mean that 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 was on Channel Four, wasn't it? Only a couple of years ago, I'm sure. Maybe even not Sky. The they, went, they went big on Kabaddi for a while. I still don't really understand the rules. It's something to do with just like t- playground tig catching people. But, uh... Mate, you've just you've just nailed it. It's playground tig. It's tig. <laughs> Kabaddi is tig. In in anyone's we've, book, come on. We've, so we've gone from football, snow volleyball, log rolling. It's like all the uh, you know what more can you want in life? <laughs> I, yeah, it's like, it's like playing on an all-weather surface. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, ten minutes of sun, ten minutes of wind, ten minutes of rain. We we have done everything to be fair. Yeah, we've been to the winters and the summer games and Champions League finals. It's good. It's a great job, but uh, you know, an awful lot of it is being in that that right place. You know, it's been really good talking to you. And um, what I'll I'll do is I'll get you on um, a couple of the podcasts and get you if you want to and get you on. Board, have a little chat with people because um love to yeah and stuff um it'd be really fun i think i mean if you get ian back on we can uh, we can ask him <laughs> about that time that i mean we went to ian's house just before you finish and just before i go off too much of a tangent just after he'd finished uh, just after he'd right. he'd left the cobblers we went to his house me and the camera crew and we we had a <laughs> real big we set up in his lounge and we talked i remember him talking about david seal and the Wembley, seriously, and the Wembley days, and he kind of poured his heart out, oh, and it never got showed. Yeah, he never got he never got showed because I left shortly after that. Didn't do anything with the tape. It will still be sitting on a beta tape somewhere in a warehouse in Colville, Derbyshire. Where, You've got to yeah, get these my, tapes out because they are important. I really think I need to try and find them, mate. Yeah. yeah. Those vox pops you were talking about of Wembley. You probably a few of the listeners today will find themselves on there, and uh, quite a lot of beers were added in those Wembley trips. I don't know if it was any, it was all coherent, but those I, sort of, it, I love all that living history. I think that's great. I think we should, you should dig them out. Yeah, I mean, I, I distinctly remember we were doing a classic show. What do you think the score is going to be then? And whilst we were doing this, uh, just a, a swarm formed around us of blokes, you know, wearing comedy claret wigs. 
Yeah. And they ended up doing the whole, um, they, the, the interview just descended into almost like a pylon of blokes, all on camera. You would absolutely <laughs> love it if I could somehow dig it out. You really would. Yeah. And I will try and do that. I will try and do that. As part of what a load of cobblers, obviously the, it came from um, Deborah Marshall's um, fanzine back in the 80s and 90s. Absolutely, and we're yes. To get that online and anything, any, you know, I'm a bit of a historian myself, so any any of that sort of social history, I, I think we, we need, really need to embrace and, you know, look at and stuff. And so if we can create some sort of archive of images and video and stuff, that would just be really fun. I think, oh, so I think that's a fantastic but, idea. I think it's yeah. appealing anyway, but certainly in everyone's headspace now i mean nostalgia seems to be a thing a lot of us can't actually do anything can we you know things are things are shut you can't really go out anywhere you know the the way we used to enjoy life has been has been shut down so sometimes you're just left with memories i find and you know going through a old lot boxes of people, and, i think are they're reminiscing but i think it's created a space and you and you saw football change the big money era come in really uh you know for people are thinking about the sport where it goes next if it exactly. you know if things have changed for the better or the worse and things you know i would argue that some things are better some things have changed for the worse um you know i don't i don't think the football is any particularly better in, you know in the premier league or any any league really and i think the connection between players and fans is is not as good. I don't know if you've got a take. I would on agree that. with that. No, I I, I mean I, I can't disagree with any of that. Um, I think it's an inevitable consequence of just letting the market dictate. Really, I mean I, I you know yeah. we're probably all culpable. Um, yeah. Somehow, because we all go, we all pay the money, and we all we all yeah. egg the big companies on by you know continually sort of being loyal to our clubs. I think probably the um, the big thing which I, I sort of worry about in a grander sense is I, you know, the the business model and the greed of not just English clubs but you know sort of big football clubs I think has been rather starkly exposed by this crisis, and people are starting to think about where football and that passion fits in to the whole bigger picture. Of, of your good life point. in the world. That's a good point. Looking at the stats and whatnot and the beautiful uniformity of football history. And you know that a World Cup's been every four years and you know this happened in such a season. I mean, this is so inconsequential in the, the grand scheme of things. But now all that's gone for yeah. a lot of football, football geeks like you and me. And there's no certainty. There's no order now. Yeah. And uh, we're all just suspended, aren't we? We're all floating around in you know, low orbit, waiting to sort of all come back down to Earth again and see what's going to happen. If it all goes tits up, we'll restart North Ants TV. Because oh. <laughs> there's a gap in the market, I promise you. North some, yeah, television. The arc of life, you know, second childhood. <laughs> come all the way back round and then just relive your childhood again. Yeah, you could do worse. We can do a, yeah. we could do a, yeah. uh, we'll go back to Ian Atkins' house, do a recap. Uh, we really should do. 20 years later. Yeah. I really must dig that tape out. I'm going to have to dig that tape out. I really am. Saying that, I said you've got a plum job. Ian Atkins is like European scout for Wolves or something. And he's like, oh, I just I ring up Bayern Munich and I just pop over. I'm like, you're a jamming sod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much within that scouting world. Quite, 
Yeah. Where do I fancy going this week? Oh, yeah. I think there's a nice player at Dynamo Tahiti. <laughs> I think I'll, um, I'll head down there for well, a the week. He, um, he, he's still in a sort of really dysfunctional way. Pandas for the days of Northampton TV and Sixfield and stuff like that. Like, he'll be sitting on the beach like somewhere after going to watch a game <laughs> FC Tahiti. He'll be pining for the days when he was bloody telling John Frain to get up the wing. Like, I, think it might, I think that's absolutely right. Because Ian's one of these guys that, you know, eats, sleeps, breathes football, isn't yeah. he? And yeah, yeah. The, the passion, you know, I still remember it now, the passion about, yeah, talking about David Seal and how he wanted to. I always remember that, you know, because he, he wanted us to sort of, he was feeding us questions to ask David Seal because he was unimpressed with Seal's work rate. Uh, you know, he was sort of saying, can't you say to David, do you think the manager thinks you work hard enough? <laughs> and it was, it was just hilarious. You know, media manipulation and so on. <laughs> uh, I don't, so obviously, you know, obviously you go in there, stand in front of a, a David Seal with a microphone and say, um, you know, the manager tremendously happy with you uh, at the moment. <laughs> you don't do that, of course. But, um, <laughs> the potential for mischief was there, you know. Listen, it's been really uh, good talking to you. And like I said, we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll get you involved with some other podcasts. Fantastic, Tom. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. But I think it's good to, um, you know, to talk about your your career and your, your your funny stories and the fact that you, you're from Northampton and you've made such a success of it. And um, let's, uh, let's sort of get together again in the future and we can talk about a few more Euro goals, log rolling and... Uh, <laughs> There's a big market out there. Absolutely. Anytime, mate. I'll... Um... I'll get my um, I'll get my salad pets out. <laughs> okay, buddy. Nice um, good to talk to you, and I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.